This podcast has been brought to you by Maggie's Place and Anchor, sharing stories of inspiration and our nonprofit's mission via podcast. And yours is on already. Good morning, Pinky. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys all for coming. Welcome back to an episode of Maggie's Place, the official podcast. I am one of your hosts, Julie Carlberg, and joining me today are my two co-hosts, Pinky and Celeste. Um, If you listened to our first podcast, you're tuning back in, or hopefully if you're listening for the first time, welcome, and thank you for sharing your time and your airspace with us. We're really excited to be trying a podcast. I say trying because we are learning as we go, and hopefully that will lead to a very fun episode of Podcast Bloopers one day. (laughs) Um, But we have some really exciting people with us. We're here at Maggie's Place at our Family Success Center at 32nd and Indian School, and today we want to talk about a couple of things. We want to talk about addiction and the need for um, the amazing work that we're doing in, in the community to be working with others. So we have with us Catherine Aris from the Aris Foundation. And she, I'm going to brag about her for a minute because I just found out she was named like Martin Luther King. What was your award, Catherine? The paparazzi just won't leave me alone anymore. It's crazy. The, <laughs> she got the Martin it's Luther the MLK Diversity Award. The MLK the Diversity the Award Thank with you. the city of Tempe. And I had the pleasure to go out and work with her one Tuesday and hope to do it again. She is at JC Park every Tuesday night doing um, street outreach to homeless youth. Yes. And so we'll be hearing from her a little bit and the great work she does. So we have a referral process with her for Maggie's Place for um, if she's working with, with women who are pregnant and in need of housing. We work to um, get them in to our one of six housing facilities in the state. And then we also have John Koch. Am I saying that right? Koch. John Koch. From Community Medical Services, and they're one of our newest partners at Maggie's Place, and we're really excited. They are really doing amazing work in the world of addiction, and they operate the first 24-7 opioid, I'm not going to say this Opiate treatment program. Opioid (laughs) treatment program in the state. And they're just really, I would say, the, the golds in the oh, in the oh my gosh, in the That's country. Awesome. Woo! That's the first opioid treatment program in the United States. The first opioid treatment program in the United States, and it's open twenty four seven. And I have to say, I've been nothing but impressed with every person I've met from their organization, the dignity that they offer. And the caring that they offer to everyone that they're working with really aligns well with Maggie's Place. And we're so excited to have a partner that we can collaborate with. So we know that, you know, we can do housing and supportive housing really well for pregnant women and their families. And so this allows us to work with women who are in need of doing an opioid treatment program and doing medical assisted treatment. And John can touch on Um, some of the statistics behind the success that they're having with those programs. And so I think when we align, there's so much power in collaboration. And if we can have, you know, organizations that are doing supportive housing, working with organizations that are doing opioid treatment and just like working together and it's slow and it takes a long time. John knows we've had a zillion meetings 
we have to write MOUs, we have to do a lot of work to have collaborations, but they're so worth it. And I really believe that if we're truly going to have life-changing programs in the state of Arizona and throughout the country, it's going to be through collaboration. So... So let's talk to John. Yay! John's really excited to talk into the microphone. <laughs> you shared with us that he can speak in front of thousands of people and not be nervous, but talking in front of a microphone <laughs> makes him a little nervous. This so. microphone is extremely scary. <laughs> we shouldn't have told you it was a microphone. <laughs> we have one at our company. <laughs> So, John, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, what you do at Community Medical and some of the work that you do and a little bit about your personal story and how you how you got into this work? I had the pleasure of first hearing John speak on an opioid panel, I think it was last spring, and I had to, like, stalk him and all the people <laughs> on the panel down and, like, can I please collaborate with us? We need this, too. <laughs> now, uh... Well, thank you, Maggie's Place, for having me. I work with a lot of collaborations and a lot of different companies, but I can say that every time I've had to meet with Maggie's Place, it's been like a breath of fresh air because not the sad thing is, is not everybody's willing to collaborate like that, and people look at addiction in different ways. So when we can work together to try to, at the end of the day, I think all are common. What we're looking for is to help people and to change people's lives. And if we all have that same purpose, like things are gonna turn out pretty good, I believe. Um, what got me into the field and what I do is I'm a person in long-term recovery from opiate addiction. I, you know, I come from a really good family. Mom and dad loved me, took care of me. I have one little sister. I mean, there was nothing about my story that would say, you know, by the age of 24, I would have five felonies. I have spent about 10 years in prison. I was homeless on the streets of Chicago. Um, and I lost everything. But, you know, looking at my history, it just one thing led into the other. And it's not like I woke up one morning and said, hey, you know, I really want to hurt my mom today. I really want to hurt my dad. I really want to make the people that care about me most in the world not want to be around me but that's where my addiction took me to um and it was scary and but i wouldn't change it for the world right now because of my story and what i've been through you know i've had amazing opportunities over the years to help make a difference in other people's lives and so if all the pain i went through can change one other person's life like for me it was it was worth it in a lot of ways um and it's just, it's really cool for me to get to work with the company I work with because I've, I'm empowered there to help make a difference. And that's why like, I enjoy going out and trying to collaborate with other agencies. So. Um, yeah, that's amazing. And John recently got married. Yay! 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 Yeah, lucky. Back to <laughs> <in> another one. <laughs> So, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with community, or what what services Community Medical Services offers in the community? Yeah, Community Medical Services is an opiate treatment program. So we are a DEA and federally regulated um, opiate treatment program, and we provide medication assisted treatment, which is your three major medications on FDA-approved medications, which is methadone, uh, buprenorphine, or 
naltrexone. And can you tell us a little bit briefly about the success? So something that really opened my eyes, um, we have seen, we have, during our intake process, we have women self-disclose um, their addiction history. So it's, you know, up to them what they want to reveal. But we have seen such a rise in women self-reporting opioid addiction uh, last year. In 2018, it was 61%. Wow. So it really led to us and in, in just learning more about the crisis in Arizona and in the nation. Our governor declaring it a state of emergency just really led me. I think that, and I've said this before as nonprofits, we have, we have a duty to be responding to the ever-changing needs of the community in which we work. And so, you know, I really wanted to get educated about opioid addiction and, and think in terms of Maggie's Place, what can we do for opioid addiction? And I heard a presentation that John was doing and talking about the, the power of medical assisted treatment. So can you just touch on that for anyone listening and, and just the statistics of recovery with medical assisted treatment? Yeah, I mean, just a disclosure, I am not a medical doctor, so, um, but I do, I mean, this is stuff we read and we research and we look, but we also see how it works. We can see somebody walk into our clinic, feels broken and hopeless, and when they meet with our counseling, meet with a peer and take their medication, like, their whole face change. They see that glimmer of hope. Um, I think that's one of the most important things about the 24-hour center that we opened was that moment of hope factor um, that you could walk in at any time and get some help when you needed it. Um, another thing is in recovery is individualized. Okay. What works for me um, might not work for somebody else. Uh-huh. And what works for that other person might not work for the next person. So that's something we always have to remember when we're addressing addiction is everybody is different. And where this is a disease and it usually all leads to the same type of conflict consequences over time, everybody is different. So um, one thing that I can say for medication assisted treatment is at a year, in our clinics, 90% of people, and that's on the low end, and this isn't just community medical services, this is national average. At one year, 90% of people can give a normal urinalysis, mm-hmm. um, which is, there's nothing that really compares to it. Meaning they're off all meds? They're off everything except for the medication. Except yeah, the medication they're prescribed from by a doctor. So, I mean, that's huge. There's, um, but like I said, whatever is working for a, pe- a person, but I just want everybody to have the options and have the education and know what is working for and what can work for them and then not feel stigmatized about what choice they make. Right. I think that is the, if we look at the opiate epidemic, we look at, you know, what's affecting it, um, you know, obviously the opioids are a part of the problem. Obviously this is a disease and we need to understand that this is not a moral failing for people. And then the stigma. A lot of people do not want to get treatment because they will know they'll feel judged by the people around them, whether it's their neighbors, their family, their friends, their employers. And if we take that away, people will be more willing to get help 
and we'll see a great change. Yeah, and I think that that is something that we work really hard at Maggie's Place too to do is to take away the stigma surrounding homelessness, surrounding trauma, and to make sure that everyone that we're working with is is treated with dignity. And and John touched on something that I think is really important, that ability to learn hope and to that hope is a skill that you can teach. And so really having those moments where people can be working a program and they, they can learn hope. And once you can kind of learn hope, then you can learn resilience, right? Yeah. And then you can then you can be ready to to really handle whatever life's gonna throw at you and and just realize that you're gonna have hard things, but you can overcome them with help that's available and you can reach out for help and ask for help and that there's organizations out there that are able to help you whatever whatever it is that you're working with. And I think too, going back to what you're saying about addiction, I think that's why it's so important that we have, you know, supportive housing available for, you know, within our communities because if you what what I know Catherine will say that she's gonna see is even if you can get to the point where you are, you know, you're working a program, like if you have to go back to you know, the place where, you know, if you're going back home to someplace that's not safe or that, you know, where people are using, it can be really hard to, to yeah. overcome that addiction. Or if you're going back out and having to sleep on the streets, you know, leaving the program that I think that if we can provide that housing component with, in terms with the addiction support, it can really be life changing for people. Yeah, that's what I mean, so exciting about a collaboration with Maggie's Places because for our agency as opiate treatment provider, it's it's hard to find housing a lot of times. It's hard to find a place, housing that you would want to send your own family member to, right? And right. that was like the cool thing with coming to your guys' houses and seeing them as like, you know, if someone in my family was struggling, I would want to send them there mm -hmm. next to somewhere I don't know about, but also the willingness and the love you feel. I think for all providers that have to do with mental health and substance abuse, if you're, if the person that's walking in and trying to get services and get help does not feel loved, mm -hmm. then that says a lot about, you know, ourselves. And that's what I feel when I go to Maggie's place. That's what um, often our clients will say, is because I get treated like a human here. Right. That's why, you know, our agency's doing hundreds of intakes a month and, you know, because they get treated. Right. And that, that environment of non-judgment, I think, is so important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, John. Let's have Catherine in here today. Catherine, can you say your last name for me? It's Kuvalas. For some reason, I thought it was Eris. <laughs> well, that's what everybody asks, what Eris means, and it means nothing. <laughs> it literally is a little tiny village in Greece where my dad was born. So, oh, wow. and that's where we're like, eh, why not? We had nothing. So now I'm I'm issuing the challenge. Everybody gets to figure out what A R I S could mean for me. Okay. And then, so if you have an acronym that you can think of for uh, what we do, that'd be great. So Catherine and I met. At, we have a funny story. We met on the soccer field. Mm -hmm. So last year, our sons played on the same um, soccer team. <laughs> and somehow we were at a game and we ended up talking about like what, what we do. What we do. Like I think I heard you on the phone or you heard me on the phone or something. 
and we somehow put all this together and then so it's been great to work with Catherine and I'll let her talk a little bit about what she does but and and setting up uh, again another collaboration where we mutually refer um, to to one another Catherine refers women that she's working with who are pregnant to us for housing if they are um, ready to come into a program or works on them until they are ready to come into a program. <laughs> and so, Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about what the Eris Foundation does? Yes. And I will plug for her that they are 501c3. And an Arizona tax credit. Oh, Arizona so tax just credit. in case you haven't, you know, made your donation yet, free money. In case yeah. you haven't made your donation. <laughs> So Yes, there you go. In case you haven't made your, definitely do it. It's free money. You're yeah. just directing your tax dollars where you want it to go. So yeah. anyway, we tell everybody that. Um, so we are uh, a 100% volunteer run organization. Everybody who comes out to volunteers is there because they really love what we do. And I, I love that more than anything because we don't want anybody being like, oh, it's Tuesday night. Oh, I got to go. I told her I was going to be there. We don't want that. You know, we'd rather people stay home and come when they're happy and joyful because we serve we serve the homeless homeless young adults i call them kids because i'm old but they're they're all over 18 so um i think the youngest we had was 17 and he was emancipated and was on on the streets for different reasons but um so we started almost three years ago it'll be july and when we started it was me texting the few kids that i knew through tumbleweed being like i'm at the laundromat all alone come see me and they would feel guilty for not coming out so i had like two kids i'm like i'll bring mcdonald's i'm not above bribery as mercedes knows <laughs> so they would come out and we would literally just have mcdonald's and they would never bring their laundry i'm like are you kidding me so finally they started and we went to two and then we went to ten and then we went to twenty and we were in this parking lot and i thought oh this is bad because the People who own the stores aren't going to be happy. So we moved to the park, and now we have 125 people who come out every week. So what we do, uh, long story short, we serve everybody a full meal, and it has ranged from homemade lasagna, crazy people, to um, we've had burritos, we've had breakfast for dinner, we've had, it's, it's unbelievable. And the food is almost always homemade, and the kids love it. I've heard that we're the best feed in Tempe just plug in that so maybe that's why we get so many people they're busting them in I guess from Phoenix um, basically what we're doing is is we're just out there trying to form relationships and make connections with these kids because somewhere down the line they have lost connection with with society with people with with love with affection um, the first couple times so I'm a hugger, can't help it. I just can't help it. So when when I like I'll meet somebody new and I'll throw my arms around them and they're like, "Oh my gosh, who is this woman?" So and it's okay, they get over it eventually. Um, Maggot, one of one of the boys on the street, he just laughs at me because he'll bring somebody new and he'll be like, "Oh, just wait." And then eventually I'll end up hugging them. He's like, "I told you." I'm like, "All right, it's all good." Um, so anyway, these these are our kids and these are the ones that we want to take care of because they. Again, they don't have a connection. So <clears throat> we have decided that our, our new like mantra catchphrase is just to love them where they're at. Because so many of them, some of them like amazing Mercedes sitting across from me here will just be ready. And, and they'll come to you when they're ready and they're like, okay, let, let's do this, I wanna go. And some of them are okay where they're at right now. And they're okay living on the streets. This is their family. This is their environment that they're comfortable in. 
Are they using? Yes. If, if I'm sleeping under a bush, I'm going to be using too. I, I can't say what I would be doing or not doing if I was in that environment. Most, I would say all of them are depressed or anxious, have PTSD from childhood trauma. Um, and it's not even necessarily something that happened. Not all of them have childhood trauma. There, there are some stories like yours where they had fabulous families, wonderful families, and it just happens. It happens sometimes. And that's okay too. And, and the thing is, I, I just, when we, when we talk to these kids, we just want to make sure that they have that one person that they can go to when they're ready. And they don't have to be ready today. It can be in 10 years. God willing, we're around for a really long time. Um, but I keep telling them I'm more patient than they are stubborn. So eventually they're going to be ready. And Mercedes knows. I'll be like, I'm waiting on you. You're next, you know. And when they are ready, like the girls who get pregnant, um, that's when we kind of go into high gear. Because it's no longer just about them. It's about the babies. And, and that makes me crazy. Makes me nuts. So Mercedes right away, I'm like, hey. We've got, I met this lady at soccer. You're going to love her. Let's, so immediately, you know, I called Julie. I'm like, hey, I got a girl. She's knocked up. Probably twins. And that was it. And she was in. And she was so happy. I mean, every time I saw her, uh, she was just so happy to be there and be loved and cared for. And this is an environment that a lot of our kids have never had where they walk in and it's like, hey, how are you? How was your day? Kind of thing. They're not used to it. And that's what we want. And that's why we love this collaboration. We've sent a few. Uh, luckily, we don't have a lot of girls who get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Gratefully, we've probably had maybe six. And I think we've sent three your way because we don't really give them a choice at that point. We're like, you're going. Um, but it's been amazing. Just amazing. We love you guys. Yeah, and you touched on something that we think is so important here is the power of having positive relationships and we um, staff our homes with AmeriCorps members, mm -hmm. and we really focus on like their job to to be a mentor and to be that one kind voice. And you know, we do a lot of trainings with them. John comes into those trainings, and we bring in you know lots of different trainers from the field. But I always mm -hmm. tell them like at the end of the day, your job is to be the one kind voice, and just like really reiterating that people need that voice. It's like I know today was hard, but you got to get up in the morning and exactly. do it again. And just kind of exactly. that like cheerleader and that mentor. And there's there's so much research out there. Empath, this organization that really focuses on mentoring, they have done a lot of research on mentoring. And it's it can make a 30% difference, positive or negative, in your life if you believe you have another adult in your life who is cheering for you and mentoring and believes in your success. And so I think that that, that like you said, a lot of... A lot of the women that we're working with have been disconnected from from that unconditional love and from that, you know, that kind of relationship that's that's there for you and cheerleading you and mentoring. Exactly. And that that's a huge, huge part of what we do. Um, one of one of our I don't call them really clients. He's he's a he's a friend of mine. He's he's been on the streets probably about 10, 15 years and he's in his fifties. And he came up to me one day and he's like, you know, this doesn't feel like a handout. He's like, it feels kind of like an office party. I'm like, yes, that's what that's what we're going for. You know, we don't want to because after we serve dinner, we we hand out all the clothing donations that we get tons, mounds of clothes, sleeping bags, sleeping bags, clothing, toiletries, um, toiletries all the hygiene items. Uh, we do that. Dog food. We give them dog food, leashes, collars. We have other organizations that we partner with because, as you said, I mean, collaboration is key, right? We don't do everything well. 
we do some things really well and we really suck at others. And it's okay because there's you guys who, who are great at those things. So if we work together, you know, I can be like, hey, I don't do this, but I got a friend, you know, and let me send you somewhere. He can help you. Yeah. And that's the and the greatest part is that the kids. So we have 43 kids who are off the streets right now, thankfully, and um, they come back and volunteer. Yeah. She's out there every Tuesday, and she comes back to volunteer. Some of them can't because where you use is kind of like a black hole. It sucks you back in, and if you go early on in your sobriety, it's not healthy. So like even when Mercedes after she how how long was it before you came out? I can't even remember. It wasn't that long. I got no. sober April 2nd, and I was out by September yeah. of so, 2017. And, and the, the key for that was every time she'd come out, I'm like, are you being triggered? What's going on? Is everybody being respectful? Because they use. You know, they're going to use. And they try to be respectful when people who, who come back um, are clean and sober, and sometimes they just forget. It's just part of what they do when they forget. But So we make sure that everybody's really comfortable and very okay with their sobriety before they come back to volunteer because that's important. It is collaboration is so important in what we do because there there is hardly ever one agency that just does everything and does everything you know right you know but if we work in silos we are not going to reach or be able to accomplish the mission of what we're trying to do and that is to change people's life and make you know give them hope allow them to experience happiness and you know, show that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But if I said that my agency could do all this, I'd be lying. <laughs> but when we team up and we work together with everybody, it, it and then we also learn from each other. Right. That's such a key component is where somebody might not have known about MAT before talking with me, but we get to talk and I don't know everything about, uh, you know, individuals experiencing homelessness outreach or of, you know, pregnant moms, but I know a lot about it. <laughs> I know a person. <laughs> so I just, that is so, I'm glad you said something about that because it's so huge that we collaborate with each other. And so I wanted to let Catherine introduce um, our next guest, Mercedes, and talk a little bit about, with Mercedes, about what her life was like before coming to Maggie's Place. All right, I'm going to introduce our next guest. This is Mercedes, and Mercedes is amazing, and I have to, uh, I'm a little bit biased because I absolutely love her. Um, I've known her for over two years. I met you right before you got clean and sober, so I actually had the had the honor of taking her before picture for her before and after sobriety, and it's amazing. I don't know if we can post pictures, but it hers is my favorite. One, I, I think I have like two favorites, and yours is one of them. Um, so this is Mercedes. Yay! Tell us where you, how you started two years ago. Um. How long have you been on the streets? So I was on the streets since I was 22. And so two years ago, I would have been 26. So I was on the streets for four years. Um, I had been suffering with addiction since I was 13, though. 13? I didn't even know So that. it was a long struggle um, that finally led me to homelessness after a long time. Um, but... I was actually my youngest kid. I was actually pregnant and homeless with her. Um, and I didn't know about Maggie's place then. Um, and I actually went to jail for three months, four months actually. 
and that was the longest time I did in jail. It gave me a time to clear my mind and actually be able to think without drugs in my system. Um, and that's not where I wanted to be. I didn't want to do years upon years upon years in prison. Um, so when I got out, I actually went to a different rehab and I left because it was not a rehab for me. Um, you know what? That's and- a good point. So that's a good point. Not like you had said earlier that not everything, there's not one cookie cutter for every, every addiction. Yeah. Some rehabs aren't going to work. Some detoxes aren't going to work. Sometimes yeah. you need Suboxone. Sometimes you need counseling. Um, so I just want to interject because I think that's an important point. I went to one that was more counseling based. Um, and I had done a lot of counseling in my, like throughout my life. Um, and I knew counseling based rehab was not going to help me. So came to you. Yep. Um, and asked to help me get into Crossroads because... My ex, I went to Crossroads, and he seemed to be doing really good. I had a good head on his shoulders after that. Um, and she took me every day. We waited in line together. Um, the last day, she was like, okay, Mercedes, um, it's time for you to be a big girl <laughs> and go by yourself. So I took a f- four-hour bus ride from East Mesa to Phoenix um, to get into rehab. And especially being in rehab, I... Learned a lot with it being a 12-step based program that it's not a drug problem that I had. It was a drug solution for all the traumas and all the things that I had gone through as a kid. That was my way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot easier than actually feeling feelings because those things can get icky. Um, <laughs> so being able to work my 12 steps and having a sponsor um, and just telling one person all the negative things I have ever done and all the negative things that have ever been done to me really helped me. Um, I was fresh in sobriety, about eight months, got pregnant. Um, and as an addict, it takes me a little bit longer to process things. So about a month into finding out I was pregnant, I was like, okay, I'm pregnant. I got this. <laughs> I'm pregnant. I can handle this. I go to the doctor for my first ultrasound and the doctor's like, there's two. And I didn't know what I was going to do because um, I was living in a three-quarter way house. I was going paycheck to paycheck, barely being able to provide for myself. I was like, I'm provide for two, two babies. Um, told Catherine, and she was like, Maggie's place. That's what you need. You need <laughs> Maggie's place. Um, and honestly, I was comfortable where I was at. And I was debating in my head, like, Do I go to a new place and be uncomfortable and not know nobody? Do I stay here, try to save money? Um, But I knew that if I didn't go to Maggie's place, I wouldn't be able to keep my babies because I wouldn't have nowhere to go. Um, So Maggie's place has allowed me to be an amazing mom. Um, Has shown me strengths that I didn't know I had. Um, especially being a twin mom, because I have so much support. Um, I'm going to cry. I can't imagine <laughs> twins. I can't imagine twins either. One at a time is hard enough. I think if I had one baby, I would be really bored. <laughs> <laughs> Having two. <laughs> um, but my boys have showed me strengths I didn't know I had, um, especially as a mom. Like, I see all the women in my house, like, being moms to their babies, and... 
and I could tell that like without Maggie's place it wouldn't be possible. Um, I'm able to work um, a full-time job. I'm able to save money. Um, I know when I leave Maggie's place that I am going to be set. I'm going to know what I need to do. I'm going to have my finances in line. Um, I'm meeting goals with the family coach that before were just goals. They weren't um, on paper. They weren't um, achievable. They were just in my head. But with the help, they're slowly getting accomplished. What are um, some of your goals you're working on? Saving money <laughs> is a big one. <laughs> um, I really want to go back to school. I really want to be a drug and alcohol counselor, specifically with teens who struggle with addiction. Mm -hmm. um, I feel if I had somebody when I was a teen that understood what I was going through, um, it might have helped me a little bit. So I really want to kind of be that light for other teenagers that you're not alone. You would be awesome at that. Um, that you're not like a black sheep, that um, there are other people like you. Um, and that's kind of what like going to meetings has showed me. Like I'm not alone in addiction. There's so many people who suffer with addiction and so many people who have come out and are on top of mountains now. Um, another goal is I want to be the best mom that I'm able to be for my boys that I was not able to be for my older three children because of my addiction. Um, and so far, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. You're doing mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> you know what you did? You, you've broken the cycle. Yeah. You know, I mean, your boys will never have to go through what you went through. They'll have their own crap, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it won't be yours. And you broke it. Because if you had continued on and kept your kids and, you know, managed to find an apartment and did what you were doing, you don't know. You could have ended up homeless with them in shelters, whatever, and now they're just happy little dudes. They're just they're so little, smiley. Happy little dudes, and they will never know the life that you knew. And I just, like, addiction is a disease. Um, and it runs in my family. My dad's an alcoholic. My mom is a recovering addict herself. Mm -hmm. um, I just, Talk about your mom. Now you have a relationship with her, too. I do. My mom's sober. Um, she's an amazing, amazing grandma. Um, my boys absolutely love her. Um, but And she got sober after you. Yeah, she got sober after me. She got sober when she found out I was pregnant. Because mm -hmm. I told her, like, if you're not sober, mm, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. My babies will not be around you. Um, and she actually moved away from where she was using um got an apartment and is completely sober and she looks forward to watching the boys and now i'm about to put them in daycare part-time and she's like <laughs> really kind of a little upset but i told her that i would keep to keep them out two days of the week just to continue that and she comes and volunteers grandma too. Bond. and so does her brother whom she didn't have a relationship with before yeah so um a lot of relationships and a lot of personal bridges have been rebuilt um also with my grandparents when I was using I was not allowed to be in their house um I would actually have to sneak through a bedroom window to get into my aunt's room just to like sleep inside um now my grandpa's like when are you coming over are you bringing my grandbabies <laughs> so a lot of bridges have been rebuilt um with my sobriety could you have thought you'd be here in two years no I mean like two years ago no I figured I'd probably be in prison or dead. And that's the thing that when they come back out to volunteer, they're they're doing it for them too. Because you know what? Gratitude and giving back is such a huge part of figuring out who you are. 
it's it's not always about you, right? And when you're on the streets and you're surviving and you're looking for food and you're trying to stay alive and as a female on the streets, it's it's even worse. But when you have gratitude and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm kicking some ass and I'm doing really well and look at me and you can do it too. And I've heard them say to some of the kids on the streets, so actually funny story, when Mercedes first came out, she kind of pulled me aside after. I'm like, how are you doing? Everything good? She's like, hey, yeah. She's like, oh my gosh, they look terrible. She's like, how did you not cry every time you saw us? I'm like, Mercedes, I cried every freaking time I saw you. You were like, what, 90 some odd pounds? Oh, about 100 um, soaking wet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> seriously. I mean, just looked like crap and gaunt and white and, and miserable. It's the misery that's so awful. And now she's healthy and beautiful and vibrant and just extraordinary so when I see that before and after picture I just cry because it's like oh my gosh and and that after picture was within like seven or eight months and the joy that you could see in her face just from life you know she was she was feeling the feelings and I tell everybody before they get sober um and I am not an addict so that's why I need people like Mercedes and all of the volunteers to come out because they understand they get it right so someone will come and talk to me and I'm like yeah I don't get it but I know somebody who does. And you need to go talk to this person because I can love you all you want. I can't tell you how to get through it. So um, that's why it's really, really important, the partnerships too. I've got one of our one of our guys, Nick. He is um, 11 months clean and sober. And he comes out every Tuesday. And he is the one who will bring them to rehab and bring them to detox and make sure they have clean clothes when they get there. And what do you need? What can we do to keep you here? Because... Um, it's important it's to important give to have something person. so freely given to us, giving exactly. it to other people. Exactly. What's the one program that's really helped make a difference the most that you've done while you're here? Is it support group? Is it family coaching? Is it like what really stands out to you? Is it just the house environment? Is it your contact person? It's uh, Amy, <laughs> um, my contact person. Um, oh, she's crying again. What'd you do? What'd you do? Shh, Julie. Amy has um, been there since day one with the boys. Um, we make a little joke. We call her daddy. Because um, she was there when they were born. When they were first born, they were having um, problems sucking and swallowing. So they were having problems eating. Um, she literally stayed up all night with me the first night and taught the boys how to suck and swallow. Um, and she was there every single day until I came home from the hospital. Um, and without her, I don't think I would have made it those three days. Um, she watched the boys when I had to take a shower. Um, she still does anything and everything that she can do with, for me. Um, open-heartedly, doesn't complain, has a smile on her face, um, my cousin passed away um, not long after my boys were born, and I cried. She let me cry on her shoulder. She was like, what do we need to do? And I was like, I need to go to a meeting. That's what I need to do. I need to go to a meeting. She was like, okay. She called another house, had somebody come do coverage for her, and took me to a meeting. So she knows what's important to me and what's important to keep me sober. Um, we kind of have like a little count thing on my door, um, and every month they change the, the number on it. So right now it's sitting at 22 months. Um, and it's something I just come home to, yep. <laughs> and like, and I know like comes this come the second of the month, it's gonna have a new number on it. Um, and she's just very supportive, um, and I'm very sad 
because she has plans after Maggie's place, so she will be going back home. <laughs> Where is home? Delaware. Ah, that's far. <laughs> that's so far. Like, you can't... Well, I guess you can. But um, she is a big impact on my life, and I love her so much. <laughs> Yay. 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 Good job. I hope she listens to this. Oh, my God. You're going to make me cry. I know. We're all going to be crying. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's the connection, right? And that's what you guys provide. You provide that connection that so many of them haven't had. Yeah, and it's I think when I try to speak about what we do out in the community, because I'm doing what John does a lot, like speaking out in the community and trying to get, you know, partners and funders and sponsors and stuff like that, as I really try to emphasize that. Like, we're, we're different because it's a house in a neighborhood. It's like a home. It's, it's the person who's cheering you on, who's sleeping at the hospital, who's driving you when you need to go to a meeting that you can't get at a lot of places. And that, that I think makes makes it really life changing to be a part of our program. Exactly. So and not that everyone's not doing great work too, but just really helping and that connection and that love and that cheerleading and that mentoring and that's the part that you can't quantify. Right? Yeah. You can do statistics all you want, but when you walk into a home and you're like enveloped in that feeling, you know, uh, it you you can't put numbers on that. People don't understand until they show up. And then they get it. What did you? We're gonna. We're about to finish up with Mercedes. But what can you tell us about about hope that has changed you in your time here? About hope. Or for someone listening to your story, like what? What do you think you've learned about hope in your time? In your time at Maggie's place, in your time with Catherine. Um. I used to be very hopeless, especially in my addiction. Um, and getting sober um, has made me very hopeful. And Tell her about your tattoo. What's your latest? <laughs> my favorite saying is she believed she could, so she did, um, especially since I got sober. Um, so I got it tattooed on me. And it's just a daily reminder that as long as I believe I can, I can do it. Um, now, two years later, I believe in myself, um, and having Catherine there before I believed in myself to believe in me was very reassuring that it was, it was possible, possible. Thank you so much, Mercedes, for sharing your story. And one of our goals of our podcast is to, um, is to let our listeners hear the stories from our moms throughout their journey and throughout their transformation. So we'll be bringing back Mercedes in the next few months to hear how she's doing. And other moms that we come in, or as they come into Maggie's place, we'll be having them come on the podcast periodically. And lastly, here at Maggie's Place, we believe there is good in the world and we want you to be the good. To support Maggie's Place, you can now make donations on Anchor to our nonprofit organization. Your donation makes a world of a difference. All donations are tax deductible. No donation is too big nor too small. As always, we can do small things with great love. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, don't forget to hit that notification bell on your Anchor app to get notified of any upcoming episodes. And don't forget to favorite us as well. Welcome back to an episode of the Maggie's Place. Oh, whoops. Edit. Radio edit. Woop, woop. Stop. Woop, woop, stop. <laughs> Re-record.